Well, Happy New Year. I don't know what your year uh, 2011 was like, but your year 2011 was a great blessing for me. Um, I was engaged this summer in July. Um, I moved to a wonderful city and a church. Um, and before moving, I, you know, I had to say goodbye to all these people, and I found out I really did have wonderful friends in London as well. So it was really great uh, to, to hear from them and to be loved by them, especially as I was leaving I miss them all, but I'm, I'm really thankful that I'm here in this church, and God has blessed me so much in this ministry already. And I'm also thankful for the church camp that we had. I think it was within just a month of, of me coming, um, getting to know the people here, and it just really was a lovely uh, church camp. And I'm also thankful for the welcome that I received um, in this church. Um, I, I especially remember the PF um, sign. They made a big sign, <laughs> welcome Pastor you. I thought it was really, really great. I have kept it. Um, it's in my home. I'm just really thankful for all the things that God has been doing in this church. Um, and, and just a great blessing it has been for me um, in this past five months. And here is really what I think about all the blessings uh, as I look back. Really, I don't deserve any of these blessings. The blessings seem gratuitous because in many ways, you don't know me, but I know myself. I know how unworthy I am of the blessings that I receive. And I'm reminded that God is, once again, amazing, that he gives his grace to us just in amazing ways. God is gracious to us. And as has been mentioned many times before, God's not like Santa who gives gifts to just good people. God gives gifts to good and the bad. He's gracious to all. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous, Matthew 5.45. And really, I know my heart, and I know that there are many dark things, evil things in my heart, in my mind. I'm just so thankful that God is gracious, that God gives his good gifts to all of us. But what's really incomprehensible about God's grace is not the fact that I was, is not my fiancé, um, or my engagement, or my friends, or the, or, or the opportunity in this church, the blessings in this church. In many ways, these things pale in comparison to the gift that God gave us, and we just heard about this in Christmas, of God's own Son. What's so amazing about grace is not that he gives just sunlight and the rain and he clothes us, but God has given his own Son to us. And through him, that we're adopted as children of God, that we can call God our Father, that we have this good parent. And there are many of you whose parents are not that great. But God gives himself to us and he has adopted us as his children and we can call him our father. And no matter what kind of a year that you had in 2011, that is an amazing fact and you should never forget that fact. That is the grace that you have received and you are a child of God. And really, Paul, as we, um, in our reading, starts with that shout of joy, that exclamation of joy. Um, in Romans eleven thirty three, he starts like that, like this. Oh. 
He starts with the exclamation, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. This is an exclamation that comes naturally at seeing, at reflecting on God's grace. Now, I don't know if you can remember that the most amazing things that you have seen in your life. I mean, the only thing that, close to, that comes close to my mind is uh, Niagara Falls. I think I was, I don't know, 14 or something. And even in my 14 cynical mind, when I saw Niagara Falls, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And that's the sense that we get in this verse. Paul has reflected on God's amazing grace from chapter 1 through 11. God's amazing grace, our sinfulness, the fact that God sent his son, the fact that God has adopted us as his children from 1 through 11. And in conclusion is this exclamation. Oh, oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. At the conclusion is that he can't fathom God's mind. The riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God is too deep and his judgment too shallow beyond tracing out. He cannot understand why some people, have, God has called some people to be his own. And I don't know why some of you, upon hearing the message of the gospel, said to, to yourself, wow, and responded to God's grace. I don't know why God has appeared to us and convicted us as sinners, while some of us, some others, have rejected him. How unsearchable his judgment. And that question of 2011 for me, why me? Why such great blessings? And the question of our lives, really, why us? Why such blessing of this adoption? Why such blessing of taking us in as part of God's family really rings out? And that is what Paul is going, uh, Paul is asking. Why me? How unsearchable this grace and judgment. And this grace cannot be repaid, he says in verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? He cannot give anything back to God. We cannot repay him, really, because everything comes from God. We cannot repay God for his grace through his son's life, uh, death, and resurrection. It's purely grace. Even if you wanted to, even if you tried your best to repay back, it just cannot be done because everything that God has given you, it's God's anyway. It's an impossibility. This gift of salvation is given to us utterly free. And no wonder Paul starts that doxology with that exclamation, Oh, the death. This is the very thing that he has searched for his entire life. If you can reflect back to Paul's life and the things that he did, he trained his body to eat and avoid certain things. He observed each and every one of the Old Testament laws really religiously, really fastidiously. He even persecuted Christians, those who seemed to be blaspheming God. He orientated his entire life. He trained the way that he thought, the way that he lived his daily life to earn this salvation, only to realize that this salvation is given to him for free. And so he exclaims, Oh, the depth and the riches 
And he realized that all that he did to earn that salvation was rubbish. He calls it rubbish in comparison to what gives us for free. That is that unsearchable grace of Jesus Christ. And that gift is given to all of us, each one of us. And no matter what kind of a year that you had in 2011, that exclamation should be at the forefront of our minds. Oh, the depth and the riches of the grace of God. And we can't do anything in response, but there is, well, we can't do anything to repay back, but there is one appropriate response. And that's why after the doxology, Paul starts um, in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, therefore. And that therefore is very important, isn't it? God has rescued us. God has made us his children. Therefore, God has given you this amazing grace. He says, therefore. He writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The appropriate response to giving of God's grace to all of us is not more doing, but is worship. It's to fall down in amazement and worshiping. And this worship is not a one-off event. It's not even a weekly event where we come together on Sundays. This worship is a spiritual act of worship offering our bodies as living sacrifices. It's an offer of your very self, of who you are, your entire life as living sacrifice. And such a life, such a dedicated life is holy and pleasing to God. It's New Year's Day, and it wouldn't be New Year's Day if I hadn't mentioned, if I don't mention New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you've made any. I tend not to make them because I break them so quickly. (laughs) But here are the 2011s. um, I did a quick uh, Google search, and this is a top 10 New Year's resolution uh, for uh, for this year. Number one, stop smoking. Number two, be fit. And number three, lose weight. Number four, enjoy life more. Number five, quit drinking. Number six, organize yourself. I think I need that uh, for me a bit more. Number seven, learn something new. Number eight, get out of debt. Number nine, spend more time with family. Number 10, help people. Well, whatever your New Year's resolutions are, I'd like to ask you to fit in just one more according to this passage. Um, make this one go at the top of your list. Remind yourself of this for the rest of the year. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. In 2012, and indeed for the rest of your life, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for us already, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this sacrifice is a process. 
We must offer again and again our bodies as living sacrifices every day. Every day we must decide not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Each day, as we get up each day, we must be reminded, we must remind ourselves of God's mercy. Remind ourselves of that amazing fact that God has made us the children of God and decide not to conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And Paul says any longer there, and he's very realistic, isn't it? Any longer. For far too long, we have conformed to the patterns of this world. Be different in 2012. Be different indeed for the rest of your lives. Spirit of God lives in us. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And this, Paul knows, will not be easy. This will be difficult. In fact, that's why he calls it a sacrifice. Sacrifice is, uh, he calls it sacrifice precisely because something needs to die. And death is always painful. Offering your bodies as living sacrifices, putting to death the sinful nature and the habits of our minds and hearts and daily life is difficult. It is hard to get up each day, half an hour early, to do our quiet time, to make time for God. It is difficult to put away our selfishness. I'm naturally selfish. To put away worldly ambitions, it's hard to put away sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, faction, envy, and drunkenness. It will be difficult to put to death of these parts of who you are, even if they're parts that you don't like about yourself. It's hard to put to death parts of ourselves. But here's the thing, Paul, if you go back a couple of chapters, in chapter 8, verse 18, he says this about hardship of putting ourselves, our sinful nature to death. If you can turn there, eight, chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Some things are so different in quality that it's not even worth comparison. It's not worth comparing. And when I was younger, I thought Kit Kats were great chocolate. And um, uh, I, I, it just was unthinkable that there was something, anything better than Kit Kats. But then, you know, as you grow up, you taste different kinds of chocolates. And I remember tasting lint chocolate for the first time and going, wow, this is amazing. And Kit Kats are now really chocolates. They're not really chocolates. They're like candy bars down there. It's in a different category. It's not worth comparing. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices and putting our sinful nature to death will be difficult But that present suffering is not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that is found in Christ is so great 
that our present sinful desires, putting away our sinful desires, now the difficulty therein is not worth even, men- it's not worth even mentioning. When that glory is revealed to us, it will be as if the suffering was nothing. It didn't exist. And that is what we have to look forward to. So finally, we've reflected on God's mercy. And in, 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 in its view, we've, we're um, resolving ourselves to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices this year. But then you might be also wondering, how should I live? What does it mean to live as living sacrifice each day? What is God's will for my life each day? How do I make daily decisions each day? Um, And it's often these difficulties of our lives. It's often the daily decisions that we need to make that drive us to our prayers. So often our prayers are filled with, Lord, I've just lost my job. What should I do next? Or, Lord, I'm about to graduate. What should I do? Lord, um, uh, um, who should I marry? Or what should I do with my retirement? Or um, which school um, should I send my kids to? We spend a lot of time asking God's will for these specific circumstances. And Paul says, these are good questions to ask, but there are better questions to ask as well. Better questions if we want to discern God's will for us. And this is a promise that he gives. So in chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We go to God when we face difficult decisions to make, but the promise is that when our minds are transformed and renewed, when our thoughts think like God's thoughts, When our priorities are like God's, when we don't conform to the patterns of this world, but are renewed daily, are transformed in our minds, Paul says, then you will know what God's will is. You can discern that good and pleasing and perfect will, he says. You will know God's will when your lives, when you live your lives as living sacrifices when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will know what to do, he says. So this year, do spend time, obviously, praying about the difficult circumstances and decisions um, that you need to make, but do spend disproportionately greater time that God will transform our minds. That we will be able to live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that we will no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. More than the decisions that you need to make, pray that God will make you holy, kind, patient, joyful, hospitable, wise, giving, godly and loving person, Spend all your time, then spend all your time thinking about just the daily decisions that need to be made. 
When you are living as holy and pleasing sacrifice, when our minds are transformed, you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I heard the story of an eagle that behaved like a chicken. A man went to his friend's house and saw an eagle amongst chickens, amongst chicks. And he, this chicken went around the yard, his neck stretched out, bobbing, always looking to see what he could eat. It ate the things that other chickens ate. It ate a bit of dirt, a bit of worms, gesticulating like a chicken. And this man saw this eagle and was disgusted by it. So he asked his friend, what happened to this eagle? Apparently this eagle was found when it was very young uh, and was placed among the chicks. So he grew up thinking that he was a chicken and he behaved like one. The man asked his friend, could I have this chicken? Uh, could I have this eagle? So when his friend said yes, the first thing that he did was he took the eagle to, in his arm. He said, um, he firmly held it and, and, and scolded it. He said, you are not a chicken. You are an eagle. So he took this eagle and hurled it down. But not ever having flied, um, it flapped its wings a couple of times and um, landed straight down to earth. And he behaved like a chicken. He, didn't, he was so mad, he didn't know what to do. So he went home. He just thought about, what should I do? So the next day, he came back to the eagle again. And with it, he climbed the top of the roof of the house. And he scolded the chicken once again. You are not a chicken. You are an eagle. And he threw it into the air. And it didn't really know what to do. Um, so in its surprise, it, it flapped its wings a bit like a chicken. <laughs> and landed on earth, and it went on bobbing its head looking for worms. The man couldn't stand its sight, and so he took the eagle, and he went up to a tall mountain. At the precipice of a deep cliff, he held the eagle in his hand and reminded him again, you are not a chicken, you are an eagle. And he held this thing and threw it. The eagle was frightened, and it was coming down like a rock. But the force of the wind opened its wings, and then it started to fly, and then it soared. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you too are not chickens. You are eagles. By the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, you have been made children of God. By his utter grace that you cannot repay, you have been made children of God. You are not of this world. You are the children of Almighty God. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern 
of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray that that will be our New Year's resolution. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace that takes us chickens, that takes us who are sinful, whose hearts are twisted, whose minds are, have conformed for so long to the pattern of this world. Lord, renew us, transform us. We thank you for, by your amazing grace, that you ha- we have been made children of God. And we prayed in, in, in 2012 that we will live as your children, that we will show the world of who you are, that we'll be amazed by your grace each day, that we'll offer our bodies as living sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.